so great to see you today. And as has been said so beautifully, we are in the sixth week of our Genesis series. And I just want to see by show of hands, you know, it's always kind of a cringy moment when the pastor asks you to raise your hand in church, isn't it? I'd love to see by a show of hands anyway. Has this series blessed your life as it has blessed mine? We just put your hand up. I, you know, and I've been in the church for maybe 35 years, and every time I go back to the scripture, there's a new angle. There's a new insight. There's something new that comes to light. And maybe you found that experience to be true. Well, we are, of course, studying in the book of Genesis the story of Abram. I'd love to invite you to bow your head and just pray with me as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Genesis, the beginning of all beginnings. Thank you that your hand has taken hold in the life of each one of us and has grown faith in us. And today, God, as we explore this idea of doubt and what it means in the life of Abram and what it means in my life, I ask God that you would speak to the deepest part of my heart, that part of me that says that doubt is there and I can't help it and maybe it shouldn't be there and what's the purpose of it and maybe it makes me question my faith and faith in general. But today, by the power of your word, you intend to restore that faith in me and to help me to step through a life that has doubts in it. So we ask that you be worshiped and glorified through these words. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen. Now, when we last saw Abram, this was last week, this was Genesis chapter 12. Abram had a couple of things come into his life that caused him to stop in a moment and by doubting, take a different course of action off that course that God had prescribed for him. Mainly, the idea was that Abram was to go where? To the promised land, a land that he didn't know yet, but he was headed in that direction following God step by step. But what happened was is that Abram ran into some doubts because a famine had come and he decided to take a great big detour and head down to Egypt and try to meet his needs there in Egypt. And what was interesting about that is that he actually tried to pass his wife off as his sister. Do you remember this if you were around? And, uh, and, and so his sister went to, to Pharaoh's house because Pharaoh saw that you know, Abram's wife, Sarah, was a beautiful woman. And Abram had said, this is my sister. So basically, she's open game, right? So Pharaoh takes her into his house. And then maybe after a couple of glasses of wine one night, as the two of them are getting to know each other, maybe Sarah says, you know, by the way, Pharaoh, I'm not really Abram's sister. I'm really his wife. And then Pharaoh sends her back to Abram with all kinds of riches and provisions that end up serving them on their journey. You know, he could have gotten really mad, right? But he sent her back. And God was merciful on that situation. So then after that happens, we find Abram and Lot getting together and traveling toward the promised land. And you know, we find Abram being generous and saying, okay, Lot, as we're here, you know, our families are so big and maybe all these resources we have are not going to take care of both families. So why don't you pick the first place where you'd like to land and I'll pick the second place and I'll live there. And so Lot chooses Sodom and Gomorrah, maybe kind of like the biblical version of buying swampland in Mississippi or something like that. Who knows? He didn't know what was coming up in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, you know, sometime in the future. So that happens. But then Lot and that whole region of Sodom and Gomorrah, it gets conquered by a local king. And Lot and all his possessions are carried off. So then Abram goes and rescues Lot and brings him back. And as Abram is coming back from this very risky battle that he did with very few soldiers, 318 soldiers, as Abram is coming back, he finds this priest, king, out in the desert in this town called Salem. 
Now, if that sounds familiar, yeah, there are towns in America named Salem, but it's also the back half of Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And this king priest, Melchizedek, was going to bless Abram because he knew the same God that Abram did. Now, can you imagine that? That God would put in the path of Abram a priest king who would bless him. And in that moment, Abram had the opportunity to keep the spoils of war because he had gone and conquered that local king that took his nephew captive. But instead, Abram decided not to keep the spoils of war for himself. He decided to have them divided up among his commanders. And as he did that, he, before he did that, he took a tenth of those spoils and he passed them over to Melchizedek and gave them as an offering to the Lord. Now, in that moment, when Melchizedek gave the blessing that he gave to Abram and the two of them shared a moment in God's kingdom together, Abram was following along instead of trying to keep the spoils of war, he was following along the promise that God had brought into his life. That he would become the father of what, church? Of many nations. That that was going to be the vision that he was going to follow into the promised land. He would become the father of many nations and that he would inherit this place where God would dwell with him, where God would be his God and that he would be his people he being Abram, and all the descendants who would come after him. But what was interesting about Abram and Sarah is that they couldn't bear children. And so they were literally hanging on the promises of God, clinging on to the promise of God for God to fulfill his word. But Abram had doubts along the way, as we saw. He took that diversion into Egypt to try to solve his food supply problems. What we're going to see is that Abram all along the way is going to have doubts. That he's going to see in front of him this vision of God and he's going to pursue it with his wife Sarah. But all along the way he's going to be plagued by doubts. And God deals with him in the way that he deals with us in our doubts. Let's unpack that a little bit. Look at what happens in Genesis 15 in verse 1. After the war and after Abram had a chance to keep the spoils of war but instead passed them on to others and gave this 10% offering over to Melchizedek. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now put this in your head for a moment. Abram is seeing a vision. And in the vision, God says this. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield your very great reward. And this word shield also means sovereign. It's the idea that the protection of God would be over him. In other words, God's shield, his sovereign nature, would be over Abram and protect him while he's along the way. Now, maybe Abram needed to hear that assurance because he was struggling with what, church? He was struggling with doubt all along the way. He needed to hear that God was going to bring him under his shield of protection. And God did this in a vision. Abram said, but, Abram said, sovereign Lord Yahweh, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Even Abram struggled with doubt according to the vision that God had put in front of him. And in that moment, he puts a but in there and he says, but God, what will you show me? What will you give me? Now, my friend, think about that for a minute. It's not so different, the situation that Abram finds himself in at that moment, as our situations in life. 
where God has promised us, I will walk with you. I will be with you. Through Jesus, I will be hand in hand with you, hour by hour, every day of your life, for the rest of your life here on earth, and then in eternity, we will be together. I will walk with you, and you will never be alone. But when we get into moments of doubt and challenge and crisis, we are tempted to turn to God and either say, oh, God is not there at all, or God, what can you give me to assure me that you will be with me, that you will provide for me, that you will give me everything that you promised. You see, we have the same temptation as Abram did in that moment. God, what will you give me? Now, it's kind of like in future times, from Abram's perspective, you've got the children of Israel in captivity in Egypt. This is 650 years in the future. All these descendants of Abram are now in captivity in Egypt. And through all the plagues and all the miracles and things that happened, you remember the story. So what happens to Israel next? They are released from Egypt and they plundered Egypt and took all the things out of Egypt that they needed for their journey. And they were led in the desert by two miraculous things. Do you remember this? One of them was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of what by night? Fire. Cloud by day and fire by night. And like Abram leaving Egypt with his wife, who, you know, he'd cleared up this whole thing about her being his sister, and now she's his wife again. But Pharaoh gives them all these provisions and sends them out of Egypt. Just like that, Israel, 650 years later, is given provisions and sent out of Egypt. And in that time, Egypt lets them go, and Israel is led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now remember that. Cloud by day, fire by night. The word of the Lord comes to Abram. This man, this servant in your household, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up into the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, there are so many. And he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And the scripture at that moment captures something so special that I want you to remember it if you remember nothing else from this morning's words. Scripture captures in that moment that Abram believed the Lord, Yahweh, and that that was credited to him as righteousness. Now, where are we going with this idea? The idea is this, that in the moment, Abram had a choice and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he chose to believe that God would fulfill his promise, and in spite of his own doubt, God reassured him that he would fulfill his promise in a specific way. Abram, by you having your own child, even though your wife cannot conceive, Abram, you will have a child. Even though you can't have children, it's impossible. You will have a child. And in that moment, Abram, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust that God can do anything he wants to do. And then when God makes a promise to you, he intends to keep it. And he will keep it by miraculous means in some circumstances. And in other circumstances, he'll keep it by regular means. And in some circumstances, yet he'll combine the two. In that moment, Abram trusted in God with God's reassuring word. And the scripture says that God credited that to him as righteousness. In other words, Abram didn't believe God out of his own righteous power within. Abram believed God by the power that God gave him to believe in him. 
And that was credited to him as righteousness. So God looked at Abram and said, I'm sharing my righteousness with you by empowering you to believe in the promise that I've made you. The right standing of God gave Abram the power to believe. Now, belief in this sense is more than just believing that there is a God. The scripture says that even demons believe in God and do what, church? And shudder. It's one thing to believe there is a God. There's another thing to believe what God says to you and then act upon it. And this is Abram. This is Abram even in his doubt. By the power of the Holy Spirit in that moment, in that particular circumstance, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he chooses to follow God into the next and to the next and to the next. And God comes and handles his doubt. This is the same power of faith and belief that drove Abram out of his comfort zone, out of his homeland, Ur of the Chaldeans, remember? And Abram is traveling through the desert with his family toward a land that he did not know. This same belief that drives someone into action, into motion, is what carried Abram and his family forward. And it's the same action and motion that carries you and me forward in our faith every single day. Even in spite of the doubts and the challenges we have in the middle of them. Look at what it says in Hebrews 12, as was read beautifully a few minutes ago. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses like Abram and like Sarah, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin, the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Now, I want you to see this scripture. Open your heart, open your mind for this scripture right now. Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now, what does that mean? Well, what's a pioneer? A pioneer is someone who goes somewhere new for the first time and discovers something, right? Or uncovers something. And then perfecter, in this sense, in the original language, means completer. Somebody who finishes something. So in other words, Jesus is both the starter of faith and the finisher of faith. So in other words, Jesus is the only one who can go with faith to his Father God and finish a plan from beginning to end according to the promises of God with 100% perfect faith. What does that mean for you and me? It means that you and me as human beings, we're going to have doubts those doubts are kind of going to come along, but as the scripture counsels us elsewhere, we don't let the doubts run our lives. We instead go back to our God and trust in him and reach out to him in that moment, discovering that he's not far from any one of us. In fact, God is there to meet us in that moment of doubt and in that point of need because his son has done the work of perfectly having faith. And seeing God's plan through. Now listen to this. Jesus has done the work of perfectly seeing God's plan through from beginning to end. Jesus is the pioneer and the finisher, the perfecter. Another translation says he's the author. He's the starter and the finisher of faith. 
And in his life is a perfect story of faith in God from beginning to end to accomplish a plan that you and I could not accomplish and will never be able to accomplish. And our doubt and our weakness and our challenge in life is evidence of that. But what's even better and stronger and more purposeful is that God's work in us is evidence of the fact that God is not only there, but he loves us and his power is there for us. Remember, Abram was told in a vision that he is under the what of God, the shield of God, the sovereign, his protection. Look at what God says to Abram as they go on in the story. I am the Lord, Yahweh, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. This land that's right in front of you. But what does Abram say? Abram says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? What does the Lord say? He doesn't say, Abram, you ought to know. You should know by now. Abram, you've been in the front row of the pew of your church for 30 years. You ought to know by now. No matter how long you've been in the church, no matter how long you've been connected with the body of Christ, no matter what position in the church you bear, you will find yourself having doubts. You will find yourself in a moment being tempted to follow in a direction to solve your own needs, to meet your own needs according to your doubts. And in that moment, God will speak and will deliver his word to you in a way that you can understand it. Now, what happened in the life of Abram? God said, okay, bring me these animals and we're going to do a covenant together. And it's kind of gross. What he does is he has Abram cut these three big animals in half and lay the pieces out on two sides. And then interestingly enough, as he does that, what he says to Abram is this. May this be done to me if I don't keep my word to you. And in fact, by the nature of that covenant, he's also saying to Abram, May this be done to me if you don't keep this covenant. And in fact, the Bible says that two things passed between the two halves of the animals on the ground. The Bible says that there was a smoking fire pot. Now let me ask you a question. When I asked you a few minutes ago to remember the two things that led the children of Israel out of captivity in Egypt, what were they? One was a pillar of what? cloud and another was a pillar of what fire so two things passed between those two halves of the animals there to make the covenant happen one was a smoking fire pot where there was cloud and one was a torch where there was an open flame now do you think God knows what he's doing do you think God has the ability to take his great big beautiful story of creation redemption and activation in his kingdom and bring you into it? Yeah. And the way he does it, my friend, is one day at a time, one step at a time, one doubt at a time, one trust at a time, one powerful God moment at a time. See, your salvation is not just a moment that happens at the beginning of your faith. 
But Christ comes not only through work that he does on the cross to save your soul for all eternity. He comes to lead you into the unknown of your life. One day at a time. One doubt at a time. One powerful God moment at a time. Look at Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 17. This is the apostle Peter quoting the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Let me ask you a question. Do you see more visions or dreams these days? If you see more visions, then you're young. If you see more, if you dream more dreams, guess what? You're old, but in the last days, both in visions and in dreams, God will speak. Now, let me ask you a question. How did God speak to Abram in a what? In a vision and said, Abram, I'm going to bring you under my shield, under my protection. And in those last days, Abram, I will speak to you in a language you can understand. 650 years before the Israelites were led by pillar of cloud and fire, this little smoking fire pot causing a cloud, this one torch causing a flame solidifies that covenant with Abram. Saying that, Abram, you can trust in my plan. Even though you haven't seen Jesus personally die on the cross for you, you know that I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Faith is going to grow in you and through you and is going to bless untold numbers of people. Look at what the scripture says. Back to Peter quoting Joel. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Now look at this. This is not a coincidence. It says blood and what church? Fire and billows of smoke. Now we saw that in two major instances, right? One with Abram at the beginning. One with the Israelites as they leave Egypt. And the word of the Lord carrying them both through as they doubted God. One day at a time, one doubt at a time. The scripture says the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Verse 20, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And I want you to read this next verse, 21, with me out loud. One, two, three. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now in my 35 years in the church, every time I read that phrase... It still gives me chills up my spine. I said that to 8.30 this morning. They were bleary because of the time change. But I said that to them this morning. And some people were like, amen, that happens to me too. Maybe it does to you too. This idea that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My friend, look, that's not once at the beginning of your faith. That's every day at a time. That's every doubt at a time. That's every glorious opportunity for God to show up in your life at a time. To call on the name of the Lord means that the Lord is standing by and ready to hear you call him. What if you and I, in our moment of doubt, called on the Lord instead of acting on that doubt in our own way? What might God do? Well, at the very least, I would propose that he would grow faith in you. But at the very most, your life will be a blessing not only to yourself, but also to others 
who don't know this God yet. I love that God has given us not only a Jesus who saves us from our sins, but a Jesus who saves us every single day, one day at a time, one doubt at a time, with one great godly opportunity at a time. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you and I love you. And I praise you and I worship you by the power of the spirit that you have given me. And I see through the story of Abram, God, that I am not alone. And that it was not an accident, God, that Abram had doubts and that you met him in his moment of doubt and need. And that even when he acted on his doubts and followed that direction instead of you, that you met him at his point of need and you received the glory. Ultimately, that is the best news of all. That in my life, your glory will be made manifest. And that that doesn't happen in spite of my doubts and challenges and needs. It happens through them when in the moment I turn to you and call and discover, yes, you're already there. God, I love you and I praise you and I worship you. And I look for a life together with others right here in this fellowship who see you one day at a time, one doubt at a time, one godly amazing opportunity at a time. Raise my faith in that light. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.